Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Promotions can be exciting. You've worked hard and now you're moving up. However, they can also lead to imposter syndrome the closer you move towards management. In this episode, we're going to talk about some common concerns developers face at each level of promotion, from that first role as a junior all the way up to getting promoted to management. The goal here is to help alleviate feelings of inadequacy at each level. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I have been fighting grocery store trips. I have spent (laughs) so much time just trying to get the essentials. And the thing that kills me is like, you know, you go to one store and they've got one or two of the things on your list. And you go to another store and they don't have those things, but they have something else. And then there's two or three other things you got to get and you got to go to Costco. And I mean, and you're like bouncing all over town. And so you do that. And while you're driving and your cell phone's on playing a podcast, you're sitting here going, I'm providing data to the state of Tennessee that indicates Tennesseans are moving around too much and need to be locked down further. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable. (laughs) What throws me off is they said, you know, stay in or not, not move around a lot, but they're also like, but get out and drive around if you're not going anywhere in particular. Yeah. And then they use the driving data to say you need to stay in more. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. And it's stuff like, you know, like I saw a Facebook post today where somebody's complaining because somebody else bought potting soil at Home Depot and that's non-essential. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like, okay, they bought potting soil. Like maybe they're, they're living dangerously as it were, but it's like, you know, this is not the botanical equivalent of Charles Manson. Uh. <laughs> and that's the way this person's reacting. Like it is so weird. And yeah, I don't know. I, I have burned so much time that I needed to do other things just trying to get basic necessities. Um, it's, it's really getting old. So how about you? So this episode is coming out on Jason's birthday. I, I realized that when I started putting stuff together as to like when it's gonna was gonna be released and uh pulled on a heartstring, man. I miss that guy. Actually, Amanda and I were talking about it uh last night and I was like, hey, if we get to have an NFL season this year, I really, really want to like I'm like, I know this past year I didn't really watch much football. I'm like, I really just want to get together and order a pizza, buy a Coke and eat Oreos. And she looked at me funny. I'm like, that's what Jason and I used to do for years and years. I'd go over to his place. I'd bring a two liter of Coke and a bag of Oreos. He'd order a pizza. And that was our Sunday. Even when I was dieting, that was my cheat day. And I would go over there and we would do that. So I don't know. I just, I've been missing him lately and I was thinking about it. And then when I saw when this episode was coming out, I'm like, you know, uh, we record a few weeks in advance and um, the anniversary of his death was last week. So just sort of, sort of tugging on my heartstrings there. Yep. You know, thinking about Jason, dude, windows screwed me over big time this week, man. Oh, you booted, huh? So (laughs) (laughs) Saturday night I was working in OBS uh, to set up some stuff for church for our stream on Sunday because we are not meeting in person. We're not one of those groups. Um, we have been streaming ever since they first said, hey, no large gatherings. Uh, and so we, like a couple of us got together and we really worked hard for a week to figure out how to stream with the the equipment we had and, and everything. So I was working on some stuff in OBS for that Saturday. Everything was working fine. Then Sunday evening, I went to record my homework uh, because we have to post YouTube videos. So I use OBS to get to do the screen capture and OBS couldn't recognize the display. Hours. I am not exaggerating. Hours later, after freaking out, hyperventilating, um, you know, uh, I got the message really late. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was I was freaking out. I finally turned in my homework without the video so that it wasn't late and then eventually figured out that Windows has decided to take control of the graphics driver from NVIDIA. 
And now I have to go through Windows to make changes to the NVIDIA driver. Um, of course, they did not maintain my current settings. Of course not. Because it's Windows. Basically, so you guys understand, OBS can either pull from the integrated graphics card or the NVIDIA card on my laptop. Um, and it's just, it's a specific thing with the laptop and this particular NVIDIA card. But to screen capture, it has to come from the integrated card. And historically, that setting has been on the NVIDIA controller. So I go in there, I'd set it up. And once it was set, it was set. But then sometime between Saturday evening and Sunday evening, Windows sent out a update that didn't require a refresh. You know, one of those secret, we're going to slip it in there, updates from Windows um, that they do sometimes. It breaks everything. Sometimes has bricked my machine. And uh, now they took over. No warning. No, hey, we're, we're making changes to your graphics setting and stuff like that. Just boom, suddenly things didn't work. And I am freaking out. Well, I was. I figured it out and uh, have decided I will uh, not ever go with Windows again. Yeah. That's that's it. I mean, if I could move, there are one or two things I need. If I could move to Linux now, I would. Yeah, that's kind of the boat I'm in. And I actually think I might be able to now that I look at it. Yeah. Um, you know, Visual yeah. Studio is I mean, the I, I thing will, I really... I would... Uh, I couldn't do this with Linux, but if I had a Mac, which I do at work, and I run a Windows VM. You can do it on Linux as well. Yeah, but the Mac drivers are better than the Linux drivers, let's be honest. Yeah. And so, like, the nice thing about running a Windows VM on Mac is I can control that. And I can be like, no, you can't get in there and update stuff until I approve it because it's a VM. It's not just sitting out there. Yeah, and I can roll it back, too, because I took a snapshot. Yeah. That's the the big thing for me. Exactly, exactly. Now, in better news, this is really cool. Will and I were talking about this before we started recording. Amanda and I found a brewery in Will's hometown that we really need to check out next time you guys go down to visit once all this mess has passed over. We're trying to support local breweries outside of the major metropolitan area, basically outside of Nashville. And so... We've been going around on the weekends just trying to like go and buy beer from the the different places, give them some support, you know, help the people that work there out. Cause you know, Amanda works at a brewery kind of outside of Nashville. And so she's been feeling it. So we're like, hey, how can we give back? My job is still going strong. How can I help the people who aren't? And so that's what we've been doing, especially the smaller ones. Like this one, they don't distribute, they just sell right there um, in the town. And so we went and bought a few beers. We rode the bike down there, which was nice. Bought a few beers to go, left a good tip. Really cool. I, I really appreciate it. They, uh, we called before we left my place and they told us they were staying open for, they're open another hour. And I was like, all right, well, I live a little over an hour away. And he's like, oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll wait for you. Then we hit some issues with the GPS messing up and, uh, Took us a little more than an hour to get down there. It took about an hour and a half. Uh, plus, we also like it said it was one place, and then we ended up having to go back to it. But uh, um, honestly, I want to I want to give them business. They're really cool. Uh, I think it was um, called Depot Bottom Brewery. Like I said, they don't distribute, so it's just just their local. But uh, next time, uh, next time you guys are in down visiting your parents or something, let me know. We'll uh, we'll come down and go hang out there. Nice. Look pretty cool. So uh, with that said, let's go ahead and get on into book club. So this is chapter six of Remote Work, The Complete Guide, uh, Mitigating the Downsides of Remote Work. Uh, in this chapter, I discuss some of the things that can go wrong with a long career uh, in remote work, you know, it's not all upside. There's stuff you do have to figure out and stuff you kind of have to maintain. Um, I think if you're pretty much anywhere on the surface of this planet right now and have been forced to work from home, you know what some of those things are. But anyway, in this, in this chapter, I discuss just 
kind of how to manage yourself and you know how to deal with things like the social isolation. Of course, that was written with a perspective of not being in a you know pandemic lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other thing. You know, the possibilities of getting stuck with a bad job, how you need to be prepared uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what to do if they try to force you to go back into the office. Um, again, they can't legally do that right now. So that's actually an upside of the pandemic. Um, (laughs) Missed promotions and lower pay. I'm sure plenty of folks are dealing with that as well. That's a, you know, that's another major issue. And I basically just kind of break it down. Like how do you structure yourself and your relationships to your environment and to the other people around you to try to protect you from some of the downsides of remote work? Um, So you can check that out at uh, simpleprogrammer.com and there'll be a link for that in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week, Beach? So we have an email from Kevin, and he says, I've been a developer for four years now. I'm currently a mid-weight developer. After my yearly appraisal, I got given the goal to get promoted to senior developer. I don't have the confidence to lead or be the safety net for someone else. I feel like I am missing so much knowledge compared to the others, which leads me to learning things hazardly. When did you know you were ready to get to the next level? Any advice? Well, uh, thanks for the question, Kevin. Beach has been in touch with Kevin already by email, but because I think you kind of had some similar stuff with your recent promotion as well. And we kind of felt like this topic was bigger than just a comment. So this entire episode was created to discuss it. So uh, thanks for the uh, question, Kevin. You know, enjoy the episode and send us another email with your contact information because we've got a CDP water bottle just for you. Yeah, send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, oh my goodness. So by the way, we started working on this episode a while back and it kind of got pushed on the back burner and it says Google Plus on here. <laughs> yeah, as if a Google product survives. <laughs> so hey, Kevin, we got your email. Like Will said, uh, he and I have been in communication back when we first got it, but uh, it did give us a great idea. We started working on it and it sort of got pushed back uh, because other things came up and then... Uh, we're trying a new model out for the way we do our episodes of like, hey, we've already started on this one. I can just knock that out really easily. <laughs> uh, we're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Um, hey, Will, we should uh, we should do some Insta posts of our uh, remote work setups once I clean my desk. Yeah, like let's not rush on that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody to see all the liquor bottles. <laughs> <laughs> not really. They're mm-hmm. I I keep them closer to the fridge. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um of course you could join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Also, I want to use this as an opportunity to say we are still meeting with developer launchpad. We're going to try in a couple weeks to do an online meetup. So we're going to give it a go before this episode comes out. And then we'll be doing another one about two weeks after this episode comes out. So we're going to give it a couple of tries before we decide yay or nay. So check us out. Even if you don't live in the Nashville area, you can still join us online. I I do hope there's not a huge limit on how many people can be on Zoom at one time. Hmm. We'll give it a go. Yeah. Well, Um, if it works out that we hit the limit, then we know it worked. We just (laughs) have to make it work. I will say this, uh, we are using my girlfriend's account because she uses it for teaching and has offered to let us use it when she's not teaching. So um, I will have her name as my profile on there. So it's going to look weird, but you know. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all can you still- have the heaviest beard of, a, of an Amanda that I've ever seen. Yeah, right, right. Even um, in East Nashville. Let's see. She won't be here this time, but the next time she might. They're kind of alternating. They've cut back their hours, so they're alternating who works what days. So she might actually be able to join us one time. So you guys get to uh, get to meet her, sort of <laughs> virtually, I guess. <laughs> All right. Your advertisement could be here. 
if you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us and help us reach the people who you are serving, especially during this time of quarantine when everyone's just sitting around listening to podcasts all day long. Shout out to our podcast listeners. Imposter syndrome is a feeling of inadequacy. It is the sense that you are not qualified or talented enough to do your job. In many cases, it's a feeling that you can't live up to the expectations of a job because you're a fraud. It was first identified by Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes in a paper in 1978. At first, they thought that it only affected women, but further research indicates that it affects people no matter their gender. While affecting everyone slightly differently, Valerie Young has identified a few patterns that people tend to fall into with imposter syndrome. And uh, actually added to the Kanban board when I was writing this because we should do an episode on these patterns. They are the perfectionist who sets very high standards for themselves. Um, and if they don't meet them, feels like a failure. The expert feels like they should know every little thing before they are competent. A person who is naturally gifted will feel inadequate if they struggle to learn or do something. The soloist feels that they have to do everything on their own and they're a fraud if they have to ask for help. And finally, the superhuman. They will push themselves harder than their coworkers just to prove that they're not an imposter. Typically, imposter syndrome rears itself when a person is put into novel situations or they're given more difficult tasks than normal. For most of us, some of the most stressful times in our careers have come with celebration. We get promoted and then we have to take on new duties and responsibilities. This can lead to stress, anxiety, and imposter syndrome. In this episode, we've broken down different fears developers face at each level of their careers. We'll start off with some common concerns that affect us no matter the level. Then we'll discuss concerns for juniors starting out and then moving up to mid-level, especially that first promotion. Next, we'll discuss the fears faced when we get to the senior level, and we're expected to be experts. Finally, we'll talk about what new managers face when they get promoted. And this is by no means comprehensive. We've gathered this list based on our experiences and the information we've learned from conversations with other developers and our mentors. So let's talk about the common concerns that you know, go across the board when people get promoted. And the first one is, what if I don't find a good role model or mentor? I know that this has, I was pretty lucky, I guess, with my first job, you know, out of college because I, you know, they really worked on the mentorship and like they had a reading list and all that stuff. But I don't think that that's common. I think a lot of junior devs just kind of get dropped into the soup and left there. Yeah. I mean, if I hadn't had you as a mentor, I probably would have been in that same boat just because, and that was part of the reason I think they brought me on is because I didn't need that when I first started at my first job outside of the apprenticeship. But I felt bad for some of the other juniors that we hired after me because they just got thrown into it. And like, I know some of them were straight out of school. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like being straight out of Compton, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> See, now now that song is stuck in my head. That is perfect for being on audio. Oh, yes. man. So, yeah, I mean, the, the feel here is that, you know, you're not good enough and what you do is not perfect. And I think that's a pretty common thing, you know, across the board, all the way up, right? Because it, um, you even get that at the managerial level. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing about it is, is that's actually, the first part of that statement is not true. You are good enough or you wouldn't have got promoted, probably. Yeah. And what or you do gotten, isn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wouldn't have gotten promoted, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, and what you do isn't perfect because none of it is. You know, we've we've described this before and hadn't used the, the phrase in a while, but, um, you know, a lot of people will look at a job like software development and treat it like it is a choreographed movie sword fight. You know, everything's got to be beautiful. Everything's got to be flashy and perfect. And what it really is, is it's a drunken knife fight on ice in the dark. You're just trying to get through it. <laughs> yeah, you haven't used that term in a while. 
you know, I, I think there's there's a there's a dichotomy there that like people really need to understand. It's like it's it's not got to be perfect. Another one people face is I like being in the weeds on a project, but moving up means I have to take a more general focus. Um, this is less of a concern at the junior like entering level, but as you move up in your career, it is something you'll have to uh, you'll face. Honestly, I actually faced this just today. I had a conversation with two leads on the DBA and uh, my API lead about some older tech that I was integrating with. And so like in the conversation, my lead was just going into the weeds on this older tech that I'm like, I have no idea what she's saying. And I finally just had to stop her in the meeting and be like, Hey, I appreciate the detail you're going into, but I haven't been here. Like I wasn't here when this was built. Um, of course, neither was she. It's really old, but uh, I wasn't here when this was built. I haven't worked on it at all. So you kind of have to treat me like a child. I don't know anything about it. And just treat it as if I know nothing about this or the process. And then the the DBA stepped up and she's like, all right, I think I know how to explain this to you. And she explained it and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a big fear that that I know I faced when I've gotten promoted is, hey, I really like being there in the code deep in it. And if I move up, that means I'm going to have to have more like at a junior level, I'm, I don't have to talk to clients. I don't have to talk to customers. I don't have to help gather requirements. You just tell me what to build and I build it. You know, I'm completely focused on my little area of the code base and I don't have to worry about anything else. But as you move up, suddenly you got to worry about like integrating with other areas or talking with the business people and figuring out what they need and stuff. And playing politics is the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times people will feel like they aren't good at taking on new responsibilities either. Um, which, I mean, like the way you get good about that is you go do it. Yeah. I, I mean, nobody's good at taking on new responsibilities just out the gate, right? Like, do you remember the first time you lived away from home? You know, like how close to the edge were you the first time you had to do laundry? Mm-hmm. How clean were the clothes that you were wearing when you did laundry the first time after moving out? It depends on how you were raised. <laughs> yeah. I I will say that I was not very far from not having anything <laughs> the first time. And I think that's a pretty common experience. It's like that everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, you know, you were you were raised to handle some things and maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but it's okay. It's you're supposed to grow into a new responsibility. A lot of times it you know, good managers will promote people a lot of times before they're completely ready. So that they grow into the role. Yeah. And a reason sometimes they do this is because that way they can they can guide them into that role. Right. And it pushes them because you may have gotten comfortable in the role that you're in and in with the responsibilities you have, but you're not quite ready for that next role. And so they will go ahead and promote you into it so that they can guide you along that path. If they're a good manager. Yeah. Another reason you might get promoted into that role is because they have a need. Yeah. And, and you know, and you just have to sink or swim. Um, I've been yeah. promoted a few times in that kind of, you know, scenario and it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just the thing you got to deal with and it's completely okay. And if you feel like you're not adequate because you feel that way, you know, like everybody else feels that way. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. No. All right. So. The next one we're going to talk about is concerns that developers face when they're starting out as a junior developer. So getting that first job kind of sense. And first off under this, I don't know enough about coding or the business to be useful. Neither does the head of IT. Yeah, this is something I've heard from a lot of people that we work with, uh, especially at Developer Launchpad who are either, I hear this from all over the place, from people who have degrees in computer science, 
I heard it from a guy with a master's degree in computer science. Yeah. Uh, coding boot camps, self-taught, especially from self-taught programmers. Like there's just this sense. Honestly, if someone is going after a job and they feel like they know enough to get the job, I would be a little bit concerned unless they've got like, like when I went out, I had a year or so of apprenticeship. I'm like, all right, yeah. When I heard what was what I would be doing, I'm like, oh yeah, I've been doing that for a year. I can do this. So if you've got that apprenticeship background, that's one thing. But if you're coming straight out of school or straight out of learning on your own and you're like, ah, oh, it's one thing to to have the confidence to go out there and look for a job. It's another thing to think too highly of yourself. So having this is a very normal fear that almost everybody has their first time looking for a job as a developer. Yeah, I, I'm like you. I would be more concerned if they didn't have that fear and they didn't have the experience mm-hmm. because that's going to be a lot harder to fix than the other. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, with, with someone who has that fear, and, it's very easy to go, hey, can you do this? Well, yeah, you do it like this. Can you do that? Yeah, you do it like this. I'm like, so you can do the job and then give them and slowly work up the challenge. Yeah, but um, if they think they're all that and they're not, it is awful hard to convince them. <laughs> it's easier just not to hire them. Yeah. <laughs> I've uh, made that recommendation. Now, another junior dev concern that comes up is, you know, where you don't really know where how you want to focus your career or what you want to do or like what your developer brand is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's common too as a junior. I mean, the thing about it is, is you just don't have enough experience to necessarily know what you want to specialize in. And the way you fix that is you get the experience that tells you that. Yeah. I mean, this is something that uh, that I've had conversations with with people about. They're like, uh, this is for a database and API developer role. And I don't know if I want to do that. I think I might want to do front-end work. And like, you know, you can take the job as a junior, do it for a couple of years and go, hey, I don't like a year and I'm like, I don't like this or, you know, get, get your foot in the door, get in there because it's really hard to get a job as a junior developer. That's probably the hardest area to get a job, get in doing something you may not absolutely love. Like we had a friend who was like this, you know, her first couple of jobs were not doing what she wanted to do at all. Yeah. But it gave her that experience so that a little later on, then she could be like, all right, I've done these other things. I really want to do this. Here's some examples of work I've done doing this other thing. And I've got experience just in general. And that helped her get the job she wanted. Yeah. So, so sometimes it's like, if you don't know, or if you want to do something else, it's okay. Uh, I've heard a lot of people be like, I don't know that what I want to do, how do I brand myself as a developer? And it's like at the junior level, you need to be as generalist as possible. Yeah, because you just you have to find a spot that you fit, and you probably don't know what it's shaped like yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, get the experience that way. So I, I got to take the next one on here. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, we're, the next concern as a junior developer is I'm afraid I'll mess up the existing code base because I've only ever worked on my own code. <laughs> um, friend, if you've ever worked on an existing code base, you already know that they're all messed up. <laughs> They just are messed up in their own way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I I put that one in there just for you, man. I knew you would uh, you would like that one. Yeah, uh, and I get the fear, right? Because you're afraid that hey, this is you know this is thousands of dollars worth of work. This is hundreds of hours, and I'm going to do something wrong that screws it up. Well, they have a source control system. You have people that are watching over you. And by the way, I'm not telling you to screw up on purpose, but screwing up is how you learn. Oh yeah. So this one reminded me of, uh, I guess I'd been, how long had I been there? About two, three months at my first job. And I crashed a server. And uh, I felt terrible. It was a dev server too. So it wasn't that bad. But man, I felt terrible. Like it was in the morning too. It was like early. One of the first things I did that day and it just totally crashed the whole thing. Um, so nobody could do anything on that server for until they got it fixed. And so my lead and one of the other guys took me out to lunch that day and told me how they crashed a production server 
when the other guy first started and the lead was just uh, a senior. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're like, look, it, it wasn't production. We crashed a production server. Let us tell you about that. And so we all, we had a long lunch and talked about it and like made me feel better about myself. Um, I but, remember when that happened because you talked to me and I was like, yeah, I burned up two medical carts. Yeah. <laughs> I caused a fire, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really small fire, but it made a surprising amount of smoke. And magic smoke, man, magic smoke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, those of you that are not familiar with the term, um, every machine is a smoke machine if you uh, use it uh, wrongly enough. And uh, yeah. <laughs> magic smoke is that uh, that mystical substance that makes computers work. <laughs> and once it's out, it's over. <laughs> I don't think every machine is a magical smoke machine. I'm pretty sure a lever is. <laughs> although, although now there's going to be some fool out there that's going to try to prove me wrong on oh, that please one. Please do so send us probably, videos. We will post that yeah. on Insta and Facebook and yeah. the other places we are. I don't know if I can. We will help you uh, cultivate your imposter syndrome. <laughs> 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 you can grow it like a bonsai tree. So. And like we said earlier, this is not a comprehensive list of of things. It's just the the big ones that we hear from people or that we faced when I was making this list. It was mostly st- stuff that I faced or that I've heard from friends, coworkers, or people that we work with with the the group. But uh, the last one under your first job is coding is fun, but what if I don't like doing it? day in, day out as a career? What if it stops, like it loses that enjoyment, that fun aspect to it? Yeah, and I get that, right? Like I've been burned out several times and I think it's not so much that it completely loses the fun, but you you lose the sugar rush of the fun. Yeah. Like most things are day-to-day and routine after a Mm -hmm. while because they're day-to-day and routine. Yeah, I wouldn't worry that much. Um, You know, the thing about it is most of the time you can find something in your past that is way worse and you can go, okay, is coding better than this or worse? Okay. Yeah. It's still way better. I'm fine. Yeah. Even if it's not fun, you know, necessarily, it's still a fairly comfortable job with maybe not as many problems as a lot of other careers. Mm -hmm. And, and so I wouldn't worry about that. I think you'll be sensible. No, I, I will say like, look, stuff that I did, that was just absolutely fascinating and fun when I first started working is now mundane and boring to me. Yeah. But it was great because the senior developers who I worked with were very happy to not have to do that mundane, boring stuff because they had a junior who thought it was fascinating and interesting to get to do that stuff. Yeah. And so that's going to change. What happens is when your job becomes mundane and boring and you don't enjoy it, it's time to move up or move on. And so speaking of moving up or moving on, now we're going to get into concerns with moving to a mid-level developer position. Yeah, and the first of these is that you're not going to get as much mentoring and support, which is absolutely true. This is sort of like you're a teenager with a driver's license. They're not going to stand over you and make sure you don't screw up and you're going to get into a couple of good car wrecks. It's just part of the process. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to mess up. This is the time to do it. Like when you're a junior, you're still learning how to do a lot of things and you've got someone hopefully standing over you. Um, when I started, I really didn't, but you know, hopefully you have someone standing over you going, Hey, here, like keeping you from those. Now's your time to make those mistakes. This is the ideal time to to do that. And then when you do make that, that's when you seek the help. You seek the support, the mentoring. Like I remember when I first started my first job as a junior developer, it was two or three times a day I was asking for help. And then about six months in, it was two or three times a week. And then a year in, it was two or three times a month. And at this point in my career, it's a few times a quarter, if that much. Yeah. That I'm asking for help. And usually that help is either, hey, I don't understand how this system I've never worked in works. Can you give me like a synopsis of it? 
or it's I send Will a message and be like, hey, so I'm not understanding this. And here's what I found Googling. Am I, can you like at least give me something to look up, like search criteria or something? Cause I'm not getting what I'm looking for. Yeah. Like most of it was that. And it's, it's still kind of that way, but it's gotten, I've gotten even better with my Google foo than I was before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all part of the, it's all part of the show basically. Um, and speaking of things that are all part of the show is what if I'm overwhelmed by the amount of work? Yeah. A lot of times, uh, mid-level developers are like mid to senior are kind of the workhorse. Yeah. Especially. And the thing with mids is they're still trying to move up and they're still trying to prove themselves. And so it's easy to overdump work on them. Mm -hmm. And this is especially true when the seniors are off doing like architecture type stuff and not, you know, watching anything at all. Yeah. You know, the mid level is like, okay, now I've got to do this work. That's too hard for the juniors and there's a ton of it and there's not enough people. Yes. This is the point where you learn how to start kind of dealing with that. You learn to either delegate or to, you know, manage your manager. Mm -hmm. You're you're supposed to be at this point. This is how you get the skill so that you can survive the next level. Yeah. One of the big things with mid levels and I face this will face this. Like everyone who moves past junior faces this is your code as you're learning more complex concepts and theories, your code gets really complex. Yeah. Too complex. Mm-hmm. And so like you feel overwhelmed by the amount of work because you're making it harder on yourself sometimes because you're being more complex with the code. Now, as you move up to senior, I'm starting to get to this point where I am simplifying my code, but the simplified code is using the more complex theories and concepts and patterns. It's just the code itself. If you look at it, you're like, oh, that's simple. Wow, that's really clever how you use that simple concept. Right. And you and you start seeing those. You almost, like as a mid-level, you start cataloging those things because mm-hmm. you learn it from the, the seniors or you learn it by fixing your mistakes a good bit of the time too. That's part of the reason they leave you alone. Yeah. Is because you're, you're just, you got to slam into the wall until you figure out there's a wall there, you know? And <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly, man. That is, that is absolutely And it. speaking of slamming into walls, um, <laughs> uh, how will I keep up with changes in technology? Um, okay. So there's two parts to this. Uh, the first one is, is that you will specialize. This is when you start doing that. Because you actually will not keep up with changes in technology. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like you might be able to write Hello World in 12 different programming languages and have a GitHub page as a junior developer. And some people will think you're credible and let you speak at conferences and stuff. We know people like this. But as a mid-level and above, that is not what you do anymore. Um, you you, yeah. you kind of pick a stack, you pick a, an approach, and you pick an uh, area of the market that you work in. And you narrow your focus and really deeply focus on those things. That's how you keep up. Now, it's yeah. still going to be a lot of work. Um, but a lot of it happens on the job, too. Yeah, this is where uh, we've had episodes on being a T-shaped developer. This is where you do that that deep dive down into something. So, you know, you've got your broad stuff at the, at the junior, your mid-levels where you do a deep dive. And... I know for me, when I first started, the reason they hired me is because I knew the C-sharp. I knew enough C-sharp to help out the API developers. I knew enough SQL to work on the database. And I knew enough Angular and JavaScript to help out on the front end. And I could do small tasks on each one. When I moved up to, we kind of have combined mid-senior position, when I moved up to an advanced is what it's called, I stopped working on the UI pretty much altogether. I, I do a little bit. We're looking into some Blazor stuff, so like some C-sharp on the, the UI. So I'm, I'm getting to play around with it a little bit more. Guys, I love my job. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, I love my job. They let me do some really cool stuff. But, um, you know, when I, when I moved up, I, like, especially that first few years, I was completely focused on API stuff. I didn't do anything on the UI unless I was, hey, the UI developer is overwhelmed. Let me help them out. 
kind of thing. Like it, it, I stopped working on that altogether and, you know, my angular skills kind of dropped off about, you know, 1.6 to two because of that, because I didn't, I didn't put my focus there. Now, you know, my .NET core skills are pretty, pretty up there. I'm like, I'm doing stuff that literally came out with version 3.0 um, because that's where I put my focus. Which we're getting on soon too. <laughs> yeah. Like that is literally where I put my focus. And that's what you do at that mid-level. You start, you start focusing in. It's, it's funny because Will told me I'd do that. And I'm like, no, man, I want to I do it all. I want to do it all. Then I got into it and started doing it. And I'm like, no, I followed that exact path without even realizing I was doing it. Until I yeah, because the other way is insane. Yeah, until I looked back and I'm like, oh, you know, other than the the data stuff I'm learning in school, I pretty much have put all like when I go to a conference, I go to C sharp .net core stuff. I don't even look at Angular and JavaScript stuff anymore at conferences, just because that's not my focus. Yeah, and that's completely normal. Yeah, yeah. So lastly, under moving to mid level talking about changes and stuff, am I trying to make changes or move up too quickly? Yeah, and that's a scary one um, because I have been promoted when I should not have been just because I was there, basically. And it was extremely awkward because I was a mid-level developer at best Mm -hmm. and got stuck in a management position and had four people reporting to me. And, you know, thankfully, most of the team were people that did not need a whole lot of, you know, handholding and guidance. Yeah. Um, there's one guy that there was no amount of management that could help him, and the other three didn't need my help at all. <laughs> you know, I was like, That's typically how it is. Yeah, um, I was, you know, just kind of. But that whole time, it was it was very much uh, imposter syndrome feelings, and it is a danger. One thing I will tell you is to be very careful um, that when you get a new position, that you don't immediately start trying to get the next position. Mm-hmm. Like lock that one down. Yeah, no, I, I will say I um, I do feel like that I'm being prepared for the next position because my lead developer, you know, she'll be retiring in a few years and stuff. And uh, I've said, I'm like, look, I want to get this down. Um, a friend of mine and yours, he he moved up very quickly. Um, and it was just because there was a need. Like he was a junior for a while. He spent his time as a junior, then he moved up and is now a lead developer. And only because I remember him saying, "He's like, look, it, we're we're interviewing people, but if their skills aren't like if they can't teach me anything or they don't have management background, it's like they're going to hire me. They're going to promote me." Yeah. And they did because they just didn't get the people like that they were looking for at the time. And um, he did, but he also has a degree. Like I wouldn't want this without a degree, but he, he has a degree and has like, he has put in a lot of extra hours outside of work to learn, not just the code to mentor, but, to learn the management skills and things like that. Like he's really put in the effort and he deserves that position now. Yeah. Like he may not have earned it when he got it, but he deserves it now that he's got it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I guess just being careful about that. Yeah. That's probably a real thing, but you know, again, a lot of times it's not your decision anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just don't try to force it. Yeah. And you, you'll be okay. Yeah, so you guys know I did not get promoted the first time I applied for a promotion. And looking back on it, I was trying to move up too quickly. You know, I had I had the code side of it down. I had that down really well. Yeah. I mean, I had that down when I when I applied for the job. Uh but I you know, when I applied for the junior position, I should say, but I didn't have the other aspects of it. And I had become like just a horrible person to be around. Like Will remembers back during this time. It was just, it was bad. Um, Like in my personal life, it wasn't as bad, but in my work life, you just did not, people didn't want to work with me. And a lot of it was because I was trying to do, to move too quickly and move up too much. And 
I also was like expecting people to be a certain way when in reality people aren't that way. And I also had some stuff on my about myself to work out. And it was kind of a wake up call when I didn't get promoted because I was like, but I'm a better coder. But it wasn't about the code. Yeah, they weren't trying to hire a coder. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there was there was that. So yeah, like, you know, sometimes it can be them pushing you up too quickly, or sometimes it can be you trying to move up too quickly. Yeah. Without putting in the time. And so speaking of putting in the time, there are concerns when you become a senior developer as well. And the first of these is what if you're not ready to be a mentor? And I get this. Um, I'll also tell you that a lot of times when you're a mentor, you don't know it in foresight. <laughs> like it's hindsight and you look and you go, oh, I kind of mentored that guy because, you know, like I helped him figure stuff out because you're just having conversations. Yeah. Well, that's like a friend of ours listed me as a mentor. And I'm like, I've been doing this like a year and a half, maybe two years longer than you. What What are you talking about? Yeah. But he did. He considered, you know, just... The conversations and the, I didn't even think of it as advice, but I guess I was giving him advice and stuff and like answering his questions as mentoring. It's like you, you don't realize you're doing this. Also, we encourage people to, to start mentoring as soon as you can. Kind of a pay it forward. Is that the right term? Uh, just like help the people who, uh, it, it goes back to our martial arts background, like help the people who are not as far along in the path as you. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is that also forces you to grow. It does. There will be a lot of stuff that you do it a certain way, and it's like cargo cult programming. You just do it that way because that's what you've seen. And a junior dev going up to you and going, "Why is it this way?" Like when you have to explain that, now you got to go learn it. And so it's it's a Mm -hmm. great feeder for the things that actually make you grow. And it's a lot easier to do that than to try to self evaluate and figure out what you don't know that you don't know. Yeah. That's very true. It's very true. All right, on that, the next one is the fear that I'm no longer the learner. I don't know enough to be an expert. Neither do all the experts. <laughs> That's so true. Knowing experts, like we have met a few thanks to the podcast and our speaking engagement. And we do not consider ourselves to be them. No, no, we don't. But we have, we have met people who are experts in the field and conversations with them. And you're like, oh. You're you're not like some like super when I mean, we know some super geniuses, but like you're not some super genius. You're a normal guy like me and Will. You just have done this a little bit longer. Yeah. Or you've forced yourself <laughs> into situations where you had to grow more. Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah, a lot of them do too. too. And it's you know, like you're you're never gonna feel like you are an expert when you actually are. Um I like <laughs> there's a lot of self-proclaimed experts out there too. Um, that will jump in there and they'll tell you, you know, this is the right way to do this. And anybody that does it the other way is wrong. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why I always feel like people like that. I have a mealy mouth, but it's just like, they t- you know, that's always the, the vocal impression. I use. <laughs> you know, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, experience is what dictates that it's not mm-hmm. being able to regurgitate the right answers. Right. Like there's, there's always this kid in class who raises his hand and he's got the right answer, which happens to coincide with the teacher's worldview. But that kid cannot function in an adult society where not everybody agrees with him. The person that does function is the person that goes out and has the real world experiences, a variety of them, and then learns, okay, this is how I make things work in a variety of circumstances and make it resilient to changes in those circumstances. That's an expert. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not about this is the one right answer. It's about – this was a conversation I had today with the – the like I said, the DBA and my lead developer, it was, hey, so we could go this path and here's like we would save time, we would get this out of it, but here's what the cost of going this path. Here's this other path we could go, but we have to figure out how to do this. That's going to take time. And here's this third path we could go that's going to take the most time, but it's going to give us the most reward in the end, kind of thing. And it was a matter of, all right, well, what's, what's the priority? And I was like, well, I, I know at some levels on this app that I'm building what the priority is. But at this point, I'm like, I don't know. 
because we're a little bit ahead on some stuff. So I'm like, do they want to say, hey, let's go for a little, taking a little bit longer on this and get more out of it because we've got that buffer now? Or are they like, hey, let's get this done fast so that we can meet the requirement? And when I say requirement, I'm talking legislation requirement. So, you know. Yeah. Yours are, yours are nicely pinned down. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, that's <laughs> always very helpful. But yeah, I... And I get it, right? It's not been that, it doesn't feel like that long ago getting up to a senior level. And the one that always scared me was being afraid to ask questions. Just, or not like that, that fear of being unknowledgeable. Um, this is like the most insidious one because you feel like you have climbed up the mountain to get to the point where you are. And that if you don't, uh, if you don't look the part that you're going to just be, you know, cast down in ruin yeah uh, well everybody knows that he can't do pointer math <laughs> you know it's like well he doesn't do pointer math all day like yeah. what, you know, yeah, what do you want no. I, I will say this it, it's one of those things I, i've seen this especially with people the like the first time they're put into this like expert level position yeah they don't realize and the people who stick around in it the best people at it are the ones who go oh I don't know everything and have no problem admitting that. Right. Like I remember med school, some of my professors, like doctors who have been teaching for decades, you would ask them a question and sometimes I'd be like, you know what? I don't know. I'll look that up. That's a good question. I haven't heard that one before or, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Let me look that up. I'll get back to you on it. Or, you know, well, what do you think? Stuff like that. And Literally, those are the people you respected more as experts. The ones who could go, who were so confident in their own knowledge that they could admit when they didn't know something. Yeah, um, but it's hard. I mean, it's a legit fear. Oh yeah, it's it's hard to get there. You don't you don't start off like that. Like maybe there are some people who do, but I didn't, and I know you right. didn't. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's awkward. I mean, you feel like you're at risk, but the the thing about it is, is the way that you signal that you are, you know, that you are capable enough is to actually signal that you can handle the risk. Yeah. Of yeah. Going, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't have to look that up. Yeah. It's, it's funny how at the very, very beginning, when you first start off, you, you signal like you signal that you're a good learner by saying, I'm not sure how do I do that or asking questions. And then when you get to that expert level, you signal you're an expert by going, if you don't know the answer, going, saying you don't know. Yeah. It's, it's funny how that, like the same action has different, like has a beneficial, but different, different understanding. What's the word I'm looking for? Different connotation. Connotation. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Speaking of connotations, the last thing we're going to talk about is concerns about moving into management. And this very, very first one has to do with what we were just talking about with the senior. It's, I'm an expert, not a manager. I know about the code and the code base and that, not how to deal with people. Yeah. And this is probably the most awkward of all the transitions because you still have the expectation mm-hmm. on you that you can fall back into a senior dev role and probably at least some of the time. Um, a lot of times your management position, especially your first one, is not going to be a real management position. It's going to be... It's usually like a lead or a mid, like a middle management kind of thing where you have like a supervisory position, but it's not full-on management management. Yeah, you can't hire and fire, but you can take the blame. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, All the responsibility, none of the power. Right. Um, and this is a real thing, right? Like you are essentially shifting jobs. You are a junior manager Yeah. at this point. Um, and that's why you feel the way you do. So you kind of have a lot of the same dynamic developing. It's like, hey, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough about what I have to know to do my job. Yeah. And that's okay. You're going to screw up the first few times you're in management. I mean, you will have like power trips and, you know, everybody seems like they go through a spot where they don't 
understand what they're actually supposed to be doing as a manager. Mm -hmm. I remember the first management position I got. Now I had done some like volunteer management and stuff like that. So it wasn't like, do you remember when you were in like maybe junior high, early high school and like some of the older kids, maybe gone off to college they come back and they're like camp counselors or something on like a, a trip or something. And it was their first time ever being given responsibility. And they're like super, super strict, even though they were the ones that were breaking all the rules the year before. I'll give a better example. All the people that are home right now get mad at people buying pot and soil. Yeah. Well, there's that too. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, uh, it's- but yeah, this, the, the, what I'm getting at though is the people's first time in management, they tend to overdo it. I remember my first time in a management role where it wasn't, all right, I'm managing volunteers or managing people at church or like count, uh, like, you know, being a counselor at church camp or something where it was like legit managing people. I had no training. I was in a behavior specialist role where I was doing like behavior reports and I was going around to different locations and doing assessments on on clients and stuff like that. And suddenly our company gets bought out and they're like, oh, hey, we've got too many behavior specialists and not enough managers. They get the, the same pay grade. So we're going to take the newest one and move them over to management. He hadn't been doing it long. No training, nothing. And yeah, I think I lasted, what, like three weeks in that job. And I'm like, I quit. Yep. Like I can't, I don't want to do this. This isn't what I wanted. Uh, this wasn't leading me. This was not helping me towards my goals at all. And I think that's honestly true of a lot of software developers. They don't want to be managers. They don't want to be in charge of people. I've had several managers that I really liked, honestly, that that was their, that was their worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really want to manage and they didn't, <laughs> you know, they just were kind of, yeah. they mentored and they were like, we'll handle this as a team. Yeah. And that may be that may be you. I mean, I think if I if I had management training or if I went into it knowing I was going to go into management, that would be that would be different. Yeah. But it was it was the just sort of it being forced on me. And I was in grad school at the time, and that was my primary focus. Like this job was sort of secondary to that. Anyway, I wanted to be an expert, not a manager, and I got forced into management and I left. Yeah. I left the whole company because of it. And sometimes that's like, if you're forced into it, that's what you have to do. But that leads into um, sort of the next one is, you know, what you were talking about with when your, your first kind of role in management as a developer is usually sort of a, um, a blend of developer management, kind of that lead. It's like, how do I manage others while I'm still actively working? Yeah, especially when they still expect a full develop, you know, senior dev output out of you and you're managing the team. Yeah. Um, that is extremely hard to do. And one of the things you kind of have to do is you have to manage up. You have to go, hey, look, what what is my priority here? Mm-hmm. And just ask, go look at, you know, I, I, it's going to be hard to do both and do them well. And the team really needs management. And speaking of the team, that leads into the next one, too. I mean... These kind of go, these two kind of blend together, but um, yep. now I'm managing my friends and former peers, people I used to be like at the same level with. Like, if you get promoted and don't like go to another company, like, what am I supposed to do with managing friends and peers? Yeah. And I've had this situation more than once. And I had somebody actually pull me aside and go, okay, I see that you're worried about this because it's like, hey, I don't feel like I can switch the context. They said, look at it a different way. That person is lucky to have a friend in management now. That's good. Right? Like you're positive for them if you make that so. Mm-hmm. Versus you being afraid that you're going to ruin your friendships and isolate everybody and everybody's going to hate you. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. You could just be a better friend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you shouldn't give them favor, you know, do favoritism and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that you can't be a better friend as a manager. Right. Now, like you can really, um, you can really improve everybody's quality of life. If you're friends with your team, like if you hate your team, it's a whole lot worse. Yeah. Or if you can't stand them or you don't trust them, like don't, if you don't trust them, it's the worst out of everything that can happen. 
because you will micromanage and you'll be a terrible manager. So this is better. Don't, don't look at it as a negative. Finally, is the fear that I don't know how to give direct feedback. Yeah, and I actually did not have a whole lot of trouble with this. Um, <laughs> really does not surprise me at all about you, man. Uh, now, not at all. I will say that I <laughs> waited too long um, on a few occasions um, with that. Yeah. Um, but mainly it's like, look, I can say, you know, here's your strengths, here's your weaknesses, here's what we, I think we need to do. What's your take on that? You know, like that, that's about as direct as you have to be unless you're firing somebody. Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, there's a lot of people that go, oh, I want to be, you know, I want to be, you know, soft and kind and you send mixed signals and that does not help the person. But at the same time, you don't have to be nasty. You just go, hey, look, here's what I perceive is going on. You know, here's how I want to fix this. Yeah. And, and that's it. Like the, honestly, the briefer and more direct you can be, the better. I had a I had a situation with a manager of mine. Um, it's been a while since this happened. I thought everything was going great, and then I get it called into a review, and I just get read the riot act because you know I didn't plan stuff out sufficiently, or my estimates were not good. Of course, my estimates were based on hey, this is how many hours of work it's going to take. They would shorten it by half, and then they would dump a bunch of other crap in there, mm-hmm. and then I, I couldn't hit it. But, you know, like it was a complete surprise to me how that came up in, in a review. Yeah. And I ended up leaving that job, uh, you know, largely as a result of that review and some other things. I would have too. I mean, that's just not. Yeah, it's like I can't see it coming. I'm, you know, I can't plan my life and go, am I going the right way with things? And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, everything's going to get better. I got, you know, this, I'm going to get a gonna get a good raise. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get some good feedback on management and I didn't get any. I got like just, I got a bomb dropped on me because this person could not communicate directly until they were angry enough to be dropping F-bombs. You don't want to be that guy. That would have, the first one that got dropped, I would have stood up and walked out. But I was so used to it. Yeah, I wouldn't you put know, up like, with that at all. That's, their, that's just me. I mean, you just, I always heard the word very when they said an F-bomb because <laughs> they used it that much <laughs> or extremely. No, it was just like, okay, it's another adjective. Fine. Yeah, no, I would not put up with that. I would just, I would be gone. Like I would have been gone long before it got to that point, but that's just me personally. I just don't. I, well, I've worked with a lot of Marines, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you, you, you know, is a, you know, to water down the coffee before you drink it. And you know that you're going to hear F bobs. If you're okay with those, you're fine with working with Marines. Oh no, dude, I don't water down the coffee with Marines. You do theirs. <laughs> no, they actually make it good enough to drink. Yeah. Some of them, yeah. There's some of the ones I've worked with. It's uh it's been a little different on that, but oh no. Imposter syndrome is something that we all face at one time or another in our careers. Many of us face it several times as we move up the ladder. This is not a comprehensive list of fears and concerns. They are the ones that we have heard about from others or we've faced ourselves during our own careers. If you have other concerns or questions about moving up in your career, leave us a comment or send us an email about it. So that pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? So guys, in this episode, we talked about moving up into management. And through the conversation, you could tell not everyone is cut out for a management role. Not everyone wants a management role. But there are other ways you can grow in your career above being a senior developer. An architect is one of these. I think in our intro, Will says he's an aspiring architect. Uh, we have friends who are business, software, data, system architects. You know, I have a coworker who's been a lead and a manager and didn't like it. So he went back to being a developer. Like he he went from management back to being a senior developer uh, moved around a little bit and makes just as much money as he was before. Yep. With less stress. Yeah. He loves what he does. It's what he really enjoys doing. His aim isn't to move up in his career per se. Um, He's close to retirement. So his aim is to learn new and interesting things where he is now. And he loves it. Like I, I tell people, when I have been doing this as long as he has, I want the same level of excitement that he has. He has a junior developer's excitement as a senior who's close to retirement. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I want when I'm there. I want to be just as excited as he is. 
Like when back when we were, you know, able to hang out in person, he'd come up and be like, let me show you this really cool thing I just learned, or I can't wait to learn this. And like, I want that level of excitement. You want that level of excitement. If moving into management does not give you that kind of excitement, management isn't for you. Uh, I have another friend who recently moved up into a business architect role and he loves it. He gets to do all the really fun things that he liked to play around with, like looking at the overall picture. And he would always get frustrated because, you know, the management and the architects wouldn't see it the way he saw it. And now he's in that role and he gets to architect things the way he wants them and then have people develop to his architecture. And he loves it. He loves having that kind of broad spectrum control does not want to manage people, is terrible at managing people, horrible at it, he would say. But he doesn't have to do that, and he still moved up in his career. So I just want to say, don't feel like once you've reached senior developer that the only option to move up is management. That's pretty much all I've got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.